0: This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55am, Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true, that if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change.
1: Welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show, and salut babette dans son jardin. My name is Vivian Langford, and I'm recording at Radio 3CR in Melbourne and broadcasting at Radio Skid Row in Sydney. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, upon whose land we are broadcasting, and pay my respects to their elders. Our guest is Gil- Gilbert Hochkust. He's the founder and managing director of Village Well, which is very well known in Melbourne, and I think it's well known internationally as well. Um, He's recently been in the Tarkine forests of Tasmania, where I think he really had an epiphany, and that pricked my interest, and I thought, oh, we have to get him back on the radio. So welcome, Gilbert.
0: Oh, thank you, Vivienne. Good to be there.
1: Good. How how are you feeling now in this time of pandemic?
0: Oh, what a great question. I think there's so many feelings, um, and I suppose, you know, I'm sharing a lot of these feelings with many others in some ways, but... Primarily for me, there's it feels it feels like I'm a little bit fuzzy. There's a little bit of shock. Um, there's a little bit of um, uh, like that my ground is, is been shaken up. And um, but but there's also which is really strange uh, a, 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 this low level excitement around. A, we have this window and a bit of oxygen to create a new story. We can't go back to business as usual and we have enough oxygen to create some new a new discussion and some courageous conversations of what it is to be human at this point of time. Sounds
1: like you see an opportunity for something to emerge here
0: yes, absolutely I think um we live in a, in a in a in a in a dominant paradigm that's sort of based on, in some ways, a lot on separation and a very competitive system. And I think not everyone lives like that, but it is in some ways a bit of a rat race if you live in the city, and not not everyone gets ahead. So I think the the new story I think that 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 we have the opportunity and to to discuss and have courageous conversations around is a story that will will be will nourish life at its core and will be regenerative. And I think we will go back to, to a sense of hyper-localism, but remaining in that localist environment, we are part of a, a living global system with brothers and sisters, but how do we live, play, learn, you know, um, in, in, a, in a very local way? And I think this, this pandemic um, is a great opportunity and a reset button for, for a lot and some will and obviously there's a lot of suffering this is not a romantic discussion at all uh, but through this process hopefully there's a level of generosity of spirit and kindness and um, that we can help our fellow citizens and non-humans to really, to really reframe the story um, that will nourish life. Yeah
1: well look I've been participating in a few webinars because of this and previously I thought oh I can't stand those Zoom conferences, they're too clunky but i've participated in two over the last couple of evenings and it was marvelous because people are confined to home but they're telling us one woman she's a disabilities advocate and she's saying oh look i'm often confined to home for weeks on end i know how to do this i'm very good on um you know doing things in a digital way and she said i feel there's a pandemic of kindness being unleashed by this and that was a surprise to me but in fact that's what you're talking about the courageous conversation and also the people at the webinar said we have to think big and you're very famous for that you know you've been able to reconfigure cities even you know so they feel better about living there.
0: Yeah. so I think that it does give us a um, you know it's interesting the citizens are coming up with these conversations I don't think we can leave it just purely to government and, and our big institutions like you know, um, our churches, or you know, mm. churches and and business, to 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 dictate the narrative of how we live in the future. Because ultimately, we know best, and and you know, the people know best. So I think these big discussions will revolve around the bigger concepts about how to live small, which is the paradox, and mm. how to create a gifting economy, a sharing economy, and these will involve some. Um, you know very specific um, changes to people's lives, but also I think'll we'll we become more citizen consumers than purely consumers and you know, you know so I think in that sense we'll we'll see um, I think we're going to see uh, uh, and this is my hope and and, and, and is that we'll see a, a tidal wave of kindness but also new innovations that will reconnect us to place. Mm. Um, And using both hardware and software, what I mean by that, the virtual space will be important, like you said, with the Zoom conferences and Mm. lots of others, as well as um, our local physical spaces, you know, within a thousand meters, you know, and knowing our neighbors and knocking on doors and understanding. We might have the concept of block captains, you know, Mm. walking around and there's a leader who knows these 30 homes and connects to the 50 other leaders who knows another Ten five thousand homes but in, in, but become an ecosystem of place, oh. and we understand who 's living there who 's not, who needs help and needs support, and what's more you know, what 's important around food and energy security and, and lots of other issues that will come up but we 'll we'll have to do this together as a community
1: yeah well, you 've said so many concepts there that are sort of new to me, like the gifting economy and that lo, you know living smaller but thinking bigger. Um, I wonder what the stimulus will be to that. Do you think it'll be the loneliness loneliness of everybody working from home that will spark this need to connect? or what will, Because we, I'm here, this program is all about climate action. We've also got this, you know, big emergency. Uh, we've got a health emergency locally and right here now, and it's global, but we've got this climate emergency, climate emergency <coughs> hanging over all of us and I feel none of us have really got into emergency mode really yet
0: how will that that's happen? correct yeah look I think um, the, the, the pandemic and virus will, will, will my sense will start this process because it's coming home to roost and people are thinking about how to you know grow a garden yeah. <laughs> out of fear a lot of it how to grow how to, how to pickle vegetables and make how to, how to fix things at home? How to live locally? Can I work from home? Can I, you know? And all of this is obviously radical, radically, radically, radically um, decreasing our individual carbon and collective footprints. Yeah. And um, with less cars on the road and and less um, consumption. Um, so we so you know the the elephant in the room with the climate change um, of, uh, narrative is consumption and we've never been able to do, to even make a dent out of that in the last 40 50 years. Yeah. So suddenly people are stopping consuming and they, we find dead malls everywhere which is you know a lot of retailers are suffering and jobs are lost but it's like a reset to what what are the essentials what's important? And maybe we'll will we'll birth a new lifestyle out of this that that mm-hmm. is um, a regenerative one, and maybe it will be the, the 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 platform for a new for a new narrative of living um, lightly on the planet.
1: Yeah. Well, look, for years I've been trying to talk about carbon rations with people I interview, and most of them just put a lid on top of me and say, no, 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 the time's not right. And I even interviewed a woman in England who was an expert on that, and the British government did an exploration of this. You know, they did a feasibility study and again said, the time is not right. And But now I just go talk about food security. I went to my local supermarket, which is just a small one, the lady's there with her face mask, and she's a Vietnamese woman, and I know her. She's always very welcoming. But on her shelf, she or, she already had a notice up saying, please only take one item of this type. And I said to her later, that's marvellous, you're doing that. Well, I wish the big shops would have done that but right at the beginning. Just take one um, item. And she said, oh, yes, we have to share. So she actually had the philosophy. She knows why she's doing it. It's not somebody's told her from above. She's decided we have to share these items. So...
0: Yeah, exactly, and I think Vivian, you know, at our core, you know, I have some hope in human nature that we do have those values of, of kindness and caring and sharing and and to, to to cooperate when when the time is needy, like now, and we're, obviously we're starting to see some of the best and worst in human nature yeah. through this process. But but really, I think your listeners, you know, it would be great to reflect of, Okay, well. Let's, let's just move three, six months ahead, you know, through this extraordinary, just terrible process we're Mm. going through. And what will be, you know, when things settle and we go back to work and do we go back to business as usual or do we go back to, to taking everything that we've learned and the friends that we've made and the way we're living and the quality of life, listening to the birds, watching the crowds, helping neighbors, helping them more vulnerable, creating new jobs to, and keeping those, principles and values in, in recreating them in now in, in the next phase of our um, in, of this decade which is the decade that we need to, to change I think I've, I have hope in that and I'm starting to see with some of my big corporate clients um, talking about this planning for this they're the smart ones and uh, and we have to be smart as individuals yeah. not all of us have the smart but the, you know we need to look after as I, as I keep saying some of the more vulnerable groups and communities that's going to be the issue we're we're actually stronger and better together
1: Mm. well i heard alan joyce this morning on the radio talking about Qantas, and apparently his salary is dependent on the share market price and so he's getting less salary and he's quite happy with that because you know all his top executives taking are taking less well good but they will be cutting down 80 percent of their flights and i thought now yeah a year from now or six months from now when the pandemic's over won't they be wanting to beef it all back up to where it was and that was one of the things on emissions one of the things that you actually can't transition to anything else really easily and aviation was set to be 15% of the global emissions um you know in a few in a decade so I wonder how we can it's not just by consumption, by people saying, oh, I'm enjoying now living in my parsley patch, I, I, won't, I won't be travelling overseas again. How, how do you think people can really get a grip on that with real discipline, with real keep the sense of emergency going? Because the climate emergency is an emergency.
0: It just doesn't absolutely. look like it. Yeah, absolutely. And look, um, you know, when I did the Al Gore training, was it 12, 15 years ago, and I, and I worked with 50 communities and... A lot of the time, I was shut down, and, I, and then I brought it to Mauritius, and you know, and I was shut down there. And but you know, but there were still people who listened, and I think we were calling an emergency then, in, you know, twelve, fifteen years ago. And I think what's different now is that it's come home to roost. You know, we're seeing some of our you know big um, natural treasures like the Great Barrier Reef just you know mm. destroyed in some ways, and, and lots of other. And you know the millennial drought never never finished. It just stayed with us. That's the thing. So all of these, um, and you know, and, and we've had the triple whammy now: of fires, um, the, the the drought, and the, the virus hit us. And now I think it's come home to roost. Where where there's a, it only takes a small percentage of society to change. Uh, Vivian, in our research. Usually, three to five percent, you know, the more progressive ones who infect the other 95 percent. And I think that's, we've gotten to that point through this process in the next three months. Mm. And there'll be enough people, including myself, who I travel the world, who've now stopped traveling. And I won't travel now. I've made a decision to not go overseas to work because, um, it just doesn't make sense anymore. So there'll be a few like me, and who will transition to new ways of working, and and, um, and 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 start to see that a local life is a beautiful life, and um, and and we have to make all this very sexy. But I think it's going to take the, uh, I think, as I said before, a citizen consumer to drive the change, not a consumer. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and we, I, I, I feel confident that um, being a little bit of an optimist, even though I have a pessimistic framework mm. at times with what's going on, that we can, you know, we can, we can save what we got and break through. So I think there's some exciting things happening, especially on the council and local level.
2: this
0: is Stephen Pigram
1: from up Broomway, country, and it's great to be down in Melbourne and you're listening to
2: 3CR Community Radio. Been here for a long time.
1: The reason I invited you to speak was back when you were in the Tarkine and you were so lyrical about it and I thought, oh this is going to be so interesting to hear what you found out there. And I think one aspect of climate action that I've found is reconnecting with nature. I've had Indigenous people tell me, you know, lie down on the earth, you know, hug the tree, lie down, you know, touch it, be, realise that you belong to the earth. That's what they've told me. And I think a lot of people have got into the habit of seeing nature as something on a David Attenborough film. But I'd like you to tell us about your experience in the Tarkine.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, look, my life has been... Um crafted um, by some extraordinary and profound experiences in nature and nature's been my greatest teacher and in the Tarkin and that was my first trip to the Tarkin obviously I saw both the beauty and the devastation there and in in both ways they had a profound effect on me and to see these gentle giants over a thousand years old and to be in their presence I think was like um, being washed a soul your soul was being washed and the epiphany really was for me that you know we we're here you know to, to for me that the words that came out that we're here to to, to to together to create a story that will nourish life and um and there's 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 wisdom in nature and we can just we just need to sit back, as you say, lie on the grass, um, be in the oceans, um, touch the earth, smell the soil, be with these gentle giants. It, and you know these sacred giants to to to, to 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 just listen as our indigenous elders would say and then this wisdom would come through that that is has always been here that we are all radically you know part of something way bigger uh, of a lo- loving universe so i know this sounds a little bit magical and mi- and mis- mysterious and but that's how it felt and you know i'll just share a one minute story that Village Well, my company and organization that i started nearly thirty years ago is actually called Dolphinium. And 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 the reason why is that when I was general manager of Chadston I left that and and I was quite lost after that and had an epiphany swimming with a, a, a group of wild dolphins in Port Phillip Bay and I walked out after three hours after a electrical thunderstorm swimming with these extraordinary beings. And uh and and took the word dolphin and millennia, millennium, millennium, um, which was a, a documentary about indigenous people and joined them together and created Dolphinium. And, um, and to this day, you know, that was what informed the creation of, of Village Well as an organization and its core principles. So it's interesting how nature, you know, can, if you really listen and, and it can come in and at a certain time can just catapult you. Um, into uh, you know, and nourish you, and hold you, and give you insights to to so many things. And it can, doesn't have to be in the Tarkine. It could be in a park or a walk on the beach, and just to see the wild and and to hug a, tr- a beautiful tree. All of this is so. In, it's all around us, as you know, Vivian, mm-hmm. as we've spoken about. So, it's, so I was very blessed to be in the Tarkine and and uh, I was staying at Sisters Beach. Um, and uh, a beautiful place, and beautiful place of you know, of, of beautiful indigenous land there, and and full of beauty and and um, and, and such sacred land. Yeah, you know, I was I felt very blessed, and, and and I feel very nourished in this time of despair. Mm. We need to, uh, you know, as my my teacher Joanna Macy, a deep ecologist and Buddhist scholar, says, you know, this is a time to immerse ourselves in nature and. And in the in the despair, there's the empowerment that we can find with others, and to grieve that process, with, and to be in nature, and to to break through into to you uh, know a place that can nourish ourselves and nourish life.
1: Like I'm hearing for you. There's a great fullness about what you're saying. It sounds to me that you feel absolutely. All to the brim of this experience you've had and it's like you're swimming in it still verbally
0: I am. <laughs>
1: but the people you know i think that this is in with climate action it's people a lot of people are quite terrified now that we're going to have these do nothing government policies they're in fact subsidizing the very thing that's causing you know the coal oil and gas new new gas for example in the betaloo basin will make the northern territory unlivable for those people who live there but All the rest of the planet's going to be unlivable if we go on exporting like that. But people are so fixated on the stop this and ban that, and we have to. And, and for example, in Tarkine, you know, stop the logging, stop cutting down the trees. It's all bound up with this terrible desire to, a huge desire to, um, it's not that full feeling that you've got. You're sort of full of the beauty of it. I wonder how we can get back to that, because I think a lot of people are exhausted with the effort to stop so many things
0: yeah it's look look you know in my in my own despair i have to um i suppose i do a lot of self care um Vivian and i think that's what you know if i can give a little message to everyone you know if you have a footpath or a walk in the park or just listen to the trees or or just play with your children or or watch little animals or whatever it is we need to do. You know, give yourself a neck rub and your partner and whatever it is, it's that loving kindness and self-care that's going to be so important to create some of that fullness. Um, it's the little things and even in the in the stress of life and the spare of life, we can find those little things and we, it's interesting watching in Italy and Spain how, you know, people are singing songs and, you know, across the, from balconies to balconies and, you know, she, sharing food and and, 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 um, poetry and, um, you know, it doesn't take a lot. And, um, and so I really encourage people to, to explore. I think this is, this is a moment of truth for, for humanity. And, um, and we're going to need to, as I said before, we're better together. We're going to need to come together in, in if it's virtually, if it's, you know, like you said before, on Zoom, and in in, you know, to, to, to be inspired by others, to hear, you know, the community's wisdom and others' wisdom, or to move forward in ways that um, that can that can collectively um, heal ourselves and heal the planet. I think we're going to have to. It's a funny thing, you know. The, 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 as Joanna Macy said, we have to we have to do both at the same time: heal ourselves as we heal the planet. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a combined journey. We we can't, you know, as you know, my activist friends and, and you know, pro- progressive friends and but just even normal people, they they want a good life. They want a cleaning, clean, green environment to raise their children. They want meaningful work. These are basic human fundamentals. But we need, you know, to put the planet first. And I think this is what we're waking up to now. And I think I hope. Um, With all my heart, that um, we have this critical, small critical mass that will do will create the tipping point in the next um, 12 to 18 months.
1: Thank you, Gilbert. So this will be my last recording at 3CR while the station's open, and we're hoping to continue broadcasting, but we won't be doing it live. So thank you, Gilbert, for being my last live interview.
0: Pleasure. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you. So that was. Gilbert Rochecouste from the Village Well in Melbourne.
3: Do you ever feel like just switching off? Well, don't. Switch on to Beyond Zero Emissions Community Radio Show every Monday at 5pm on 3CR and beat the doom and gloom to find out the latest actions and research in your community. BZE Radio at 5pm on Monday. Turn the tide, literally.
1: As I'm pre-recording this show, we've been through a great number of terrible events in Australia. People look at us with awe that we've been through such a millennial drought, that we've been through such mega bushfires and floods, and now we're having the global pandemic, and yet still we don't have policies to put in place to make sure that we lower our emissions. At the time of making this program, 80% of flights have been cancelled. Cars, trucks and ferries have slowed to a trickle. Chinese industry is temporarily slowed down and it's reported that their emissions are 25% lower than usual. We'll now talk to two people who are really campaigners for the sort of policies we need. I talked to Christine Milne at the Climate Emergency Summit at Melbourne Town Hall where she was a guest speaker and she talks about not giving any more subsidies to the fossil fuel interests and certainly not bailing them out not letting them tell us that they're too big to fail then i talked to john grimes who was giving a talk at the citizens assembly in canberra that was in february and the bushfire smoke was still rolling over the lawns of canberra on the first day of parliament he talks sense about energy and he's so uh, much on the front foot he wants us to be angry i think and to continue to take action even if we are quarantined at home we can take all sorts of action phoning up ministers Asking for virtual meetings, not necessarily rallying in the street, but maybe just bombarding people with point of view that we must make the transition and we need those policies so business has certainty to make the transition. So here's Christine Milne. Christine Milne is with me at Melbourne Town Hall. She's the Greens' international ambassador, and so since she was well, the leader of the Greens in Australia, she's had a, now a kind of on the international stage. And I'm very keen to know all the things she's learned out there, but she has always been a champion of Beyond Zero Emissions and a champion of community radio, and she might tell you a bit about that later. I'm very happy to see you, Christine, especially here among, sort of among friends, really, of people who've been mobilising to prevent the worst of climate change over many years. Can you tell us, first question's about government... What can federal government do in Australia? We had John Hewson in a session here saying, just pass a carbon tax and get out of the way. But you've had a lot of experience now seeing other models, especially in Europe, of what governments can do taking this climate emergency very seriously, seeing the threat to themselves. Tell the Australian government what you want.
2: Well, thank you very much, and yes, thank you for years and years of reporting and for working for reducing emissions in Australia and addressing the climate emergency. Yes, I have been uh, looking at what's been going on around the world, and particularly in Europe, where the green wave has been rather encouraging, where in Germany in particular, the greens are really making uh, strides ahead in Ireland over the weekend. They went from two to 12 uh, members. And so we're going to see a lot more initiative from the Greens in Europe. But fundamentally, what the federal governments can do, contrary to John Hewson, who just says, adopt a market mechanism and get out of the way, that is not enough. That is a neoliberal position. The market will solve everything. We have only got 10 years, so we're beyond the market. In my view, emissions—it it is too late for emissions trading. When we introduced the emissions trading scheme back in 2010, it w- we had time for it to work properly. In my view, we don't have time, and so I think a carbon tax and a strong government regulatory framework is what is required. So that means not only the price on carbon, but we need also to bring in a um, timetable for the phase-out of coal-fired power stations. We need to immediately regulate to stop any further gas or coal extraction. We need to stop the uh, coal exports. You know, all of those things can be done in a regulatory fashion, and that, ha- that is what an emergency plan looks like, to say, by regulation, we're going to do all these things. Having said that, what I am worried about uh, is that when you're in an emergency, it can be. It, it obviously has to be top down. Somebody has to then bring the army out and take all kinds of actions. If if you're in the midst of a an extreme weather event, for example, we have to make sure we strengthen our democracy. That is critical. Otherwise, you'll get those. Um, white nationalists, supremists taking on environment and you'll end up with eco-fascism which would be the worst case scenario so I'm urging everybody to think about we need more proportional representation so we get parliaments which are forced to negotiate between different groups and can't be bought by the fossil fuel industry we need donations reform immediately because of this infl- you know, buying of our democratic process we need a national ICAC corruption is rife in Australia, you only have to see under EPBC they don't prosecute people for their failure to deliver on the undertakings, you've just seen with the federal police they don't follow up and so on and so forth. So a national ICAC is critical to a functioning democracy but so too um, uh, reforms in relation to tax avoidance money laundering and so on because these major corporations will say they're committed to climate action but then just shift their profits offshore and that's and business as usual so there are a whole range of things but the one thing i would say that in a climate emergency you cannot leave it to the market they are self-serving what we need to do is go the regulatory road as well as a carbon tax mm-hmm. second thing is We should never underestimate the devious and greedy behaviour of the fossil fuel industry. They are years ahead of us. Exxon Mm. knew, for example, at least 30 years ago, BP knew what they were doing Mm. and they chose to keep doing it. They deliberately chose a disinformation, doubt-spreading strategy to maximise Mm. their profits regardless. Well, now, what really upset me uh, after Davos, at Davos this year and I wasn't there, I just heard it after reported, was the fossil fuel industry has obviously worked out that at some point the climate emergency will drive political action and people will want to shut down the fossil fuel industry, so they're trying to get ahead of it by saying the fossil fuel industry is too big to fail, just like the banks did after creating the global financial crisis, then they had to be bailed out by government, now we're going to get the same thing with the fossil fuel industry saying if you don't give us access to our reserves, our share price collapses, our company collapses, and because Australia is so dependent on fossil fuels in its economy, you'll see an economy collapse. So to avoid that you need to buy us out, and so the Reserve Bank of Australia should be instructed to buy out the fossil fuel industry. That is what they are working up to, and that is what we have to expose right now and work towards making sure that we don't pay out the people who have put us into this crisis. I'd like to tease this out a bit more because we've had Paul Gilding at this um,
1: festival and on tonight's show, and he says that we must actually now to prepare to manage the collapse of the coal, oil and gas industries. Now, I don't know what he means by manage. I'm going to ask him. But it's, he said it's now inevitable. And everyone it has been saying it's inevitable, except you wouldn't know that if you read the mainstream papers. You think, oh, we're going to build a new coal-fired power, we're going to have co- carbon capture and yeah. storage, all that nonsense. But I spoke to John Grimes last week, who I know you know from the Solar Council, and he said, look, I've been a, a lobbyist in mm. these corridors for years and it's rotten to the core. That's what he said. And he said, well, he said that was a bit shocking, but he said that. And lots of people are starting to say that now, and that leads to a lot of despair for young people. If the system is rotten, or, you know, where do yeah. you go? That's very bad to hear that. But anyway, John Grimes said, for, hang on, hang go. on. He said, for every one of me doing renewable energy lobbying, there's 10 of the exactly. fossil fuel people. And I'd like to know, just tease out a bit more, what do you think those fossil people are whispering or saying quite loudly or saying over lunch in those lobby as corridors, what are they saying? You know, you said you heard this at Davos. What do you think they're saying to our politicians?
2: What they're saying is we will donate to your campaign, we will give X amount of dollars to your electorate, to your political party, for your advertising, etc., providing you agree that you will vote to support public funded infrastructure to open up the Galilee Basin, Beetaloo you'll open up you'll support the North West Shelf Gas, a whole range of policy initiatives so it's all about we will get you back in but with the money we will put up but in return you will vote for these things and secondly you do the right thing by us and when you leave politics there'll always be a job for you consulting at one of the big four accounting firms over here, as in our public relations department, our lobbying department, or whatever, so the revolving door. Is absolutely there, and if you look at where people have gone to in politics, you can see how it works. Martin Ferguson went off to Appia, to the oil, the petroleum industry. You had Ian McFarlane go off to the Queensland Resources Council. You had Mark Vale, who was a former Deputy Prime Minister, go off to Whitehaven. You know, on and on and on it goes. So the they save coal,
1: but but allow
2: gas. Uh, well, they will basically. Um, support both coal and gas um, and there'll be various electorates they'll look at where the marginal electorates are and they'll basically go out and say what is necessary and subsidise it and that's what they're doing and labour is is captured totally by gas, the uh, LNP more so by coal but make no mistakes, it was Tony Burke that opened up the Gloucester uh, gas field in New South Wales it is Labour that wanted to open up the um, Bowen the Bowen Basin in Queensland was it Bowen? Yes it was in Queensland Beetaloo in Northern Territory and it is Labour who's all the way with the North West Shelf so you, you have, they are totally captive and that is what goes on in the corridors of power they come along with their lobbying efforts and they also use their um, money to produce materials so a classic was coal is good for humanity. Where did that come from? Well it came from uh, the United States, from uh, Burson Marstella, uh, which had been paid by presumably the Koch brothers or one of those to look at how they can sell coal. Burson Marstella, big PR agency, came out with the coal is good for humanity strategy and materials. They were then distributed by the heartland institute the american enterprise institute and so on and sent to the whole network of right-wing parties globally and the next thing you hear that strategy for tony abbott in the parliament and all of his front bench then joe hockey gets a presentation from burson marstella at the g20 now that is how it works it is networked and and murdoch is up to his neck in it crosby Texters up to their neck in it And they're basically running the same lines in the UK, the US and Australia and that is a real poison to our democracy. But as you say, they're cunning, they're 20 years ahead of us. You know,
1: this is a climate movement. This is not really well organised, I don't think. We've had a summit here, these are all good people but really it's not strategy like up in those glass towers where they're organising their strategy. And the person next to you, Margaret Klein Salomon, said, well, it's terrible, it's... um, insane but it's better to bail them out than to have them go on producing emissions how
2: do you answer that bail them out well that's that is what the movement has to face that unless we get organized now and start shutting them down in a systematic way then they will it will get to the point where they all have to be shut down together and you will have economic collapse so the first thing to do is remove the subsidies They say let the market decide. Well, remove the subsidies and they will not... I mean, they would not be surviving now without the subsidies. So let's just start removing the subsidies. Let's just start the... Stop making public money available for infrastructure, for railways and ports and everything else uh, to support these industries and stop granting new exploration licences and withdraw some of the ones that are out there. I mean, it's you, you, there are things we can be doing now that gradually uh, turn up the screws and force them to recognise that they're stranded. But they are putting enough money into their political donations to get to basically say, it, it makes no sense in the market unless you subsidise us with public money. And frankly, look at Palmer at the last election. He spent $60 or $80 million on a preference strategy that got the Liberals elected, and the strategy was to open up that whole new basin, the the whole Carmichael whole Basin in Queensland, and for public money to be put into infrastructure. And if you remember, this is the reason he went into politics in the first place, because the Queensland Premier at the time, Newman, wouldn't give him the public money for the railway, and that's why he formed... The Palmer United Party, that's why he went in, and that is still the game plan to get public subsidies. So 60 or 80 million is pretty cheap Mm -hmm. if the federal government will use taxpayers' money to build the railway and the ports and all the other public access. So this is what the game plan for them now is to spend some money to maximise the public subsidy. It's exactly what the mining industry did with the uh, mining tax 25 million it cost them to knock off the mining tax and look at the billions that they've made in tax avoidance ever since it's a small amount of money for them for long-term maximum profit
1: I am not in love but I'm open to persuasion
3: when you think
0: of community uh, think of 3CR. When you think of radio, think of 3CR. This is Joan the Trading asking you to support your community radio station, 3CR, the only alternative.
1: Well, you mentioned something before about eco-fascism and you said in Europe that you know, the Greens parties are sort of gaining ground in some countries but in Austria it's a very worrying yeah. uh, devil's deal that it sounds like they're doing.
2: Explain a bit more about that. Okay, so um, while in Australia and the US we're focused on climate, trying to, de- to get some progress and get beyond climate denial, in Europe... All political parties accept that global warming is real and something has to be done about it. You either do that in a democratic context and preserve civil rights, recognise you're going to have climate refugees, protect the right to protest, protect whistleblowers, you know, strengthen your democratic institutions. The real threat is that the neoliberal and the right wing populists who want a strong authority, you know, the strong man strategy of politics, will embrace the climate, have embraced the climate, but use the need for an emergency to strengthen autocratic power and then use it against the people, take away civil rights. And that's what I'm quite frightened of that is already happening in Europe. So what... So whilst the German Greens are very strongly uh, embracing the democratic model whereby, you know, they want a very strong democracy in Germany so that it can't be undermined by authoritarianism, in Austria the Greens have gone into government with the the People's Party, the right-wing party. Now that's because they have promised to go carbon neutral by 2040 they've got good climate policies and you can understand why the Greens would think that was okay to go into government with them but the catch is they're closing the borders you know, they do not want to have ha- you know, Austria for the Austrians that is a real issue for me I, there's no way I could ever agree to that but that is the, that's what, these are the sorts of trade-offs that are now being talked about Do you give up civil rights in order to address the climate emergency? Do you pay out fossil fuels and and maximise their profits in order to reduce emissions? These are very real issues, and we're not even thinking about that in Australia because we're so far behind the game in terms of what the issues are. But the one thing I'm absolutely emphatic about is that we must have democracy campaigns, strengthening democracy, accountability, uh, corruption rules, uh, tax avoidance rules, etc., absolutely strengthening those. We cannot go down the authoritarian path. And I want to say that... In many ways the Liberals, the neoliberal ideology of saying small government, get rid of government out of it, let the market operate has created the circumstances where people have lost faith in democracy and then they turn to the populist bloke. And that is where Clive Palmer sits. You know, he comes out and says, Oh, you know, you can't trust them in Canberra. Trump says clean out the swamp. You know, people. It appeals to people because they've lost faith in their democracy because of neoliberalism over such a long time and in comes the authoritarian, populist, nationalist bloke who will then make their lives even more of a misery and take away all of their civil rights in order to uh, engage in personal enrichment. So this is an issue not only in the US but we're seeing it in Australia as well.
1: Well, something I noticed at this conference, t- this talk about democracy, and yes, you sure. appealed to civil society groups to all have a democracy mm-hmm. strand yeah, embe- embedded in what their campaign is. That's right. Well, I, I remember climate summits. That's how I got involved. Yeah. There were climate summits everywhere, but all of those civil society groups seem to be in there. They the lecture halls, you know, full of various groups, and I think their voices have now somehow gone missing in this conference. And maybe it's because well there's so many other voices that like uh, peak groups have to be um spoken to but i feel that really the the energy and the passion does come from the lower you know the people who are just doing it because they love the place they live in or for some other reason like that um and those voices are missing people like lock the gates you know i've met those people. great big logs in front of their gates you know and they've kept them out Bentley you know, up there, 350.org Extinction Rebellion, they're getting all these new people and have never done anything political in their life, but they're very upset about the deaths of koalas and they just are crying and sobbing and, and Extinction Rebellion says come and, and this is, we can rebel we'll do something and they, by getting involved a little bit then they, they get their political education that way, but I don't think see them represented here and I feel that we need to have some sort of cultural regeneration like they are sort of saying and I wonder, do you think we need a different sort of climate summit? You know, a bit more like the, the extinction people say, citizens' assemblies, where you have people in groups actually bringing their own expertise, not being cut off, no, we have had enough mm. questions, sorry, time's up, real community working groups,
2: because there's so much expertise out there now. There is, and... Uh you you will remember as I do the fantastic energy that was brought to the 2008-2009 debates um, around what was going to happen with Copenhagen and what a climate policy should be and I remember all of the local groups coming to Parliament House and there were so many of them that we completely encircled Parliament House at that time and it was all new fresh spontaneous climate action groups from one end of the country to the other. It wasn't the established groups. And since in the last 10 years, yes, we've seen uh, Lock the Gates a fantastic example, but Extinction Rebellion is as well. I suppose if, I mean, I think this has been a very important gathering and and it's been uh, energising for people who are here and it's good to be positively reinforced. But... My view is we now, we need the practical stuff. If we are going to embed democracy in imposing a climate emergency, what does that mean? And in my view, what that means is local communities sit down and say, okay, what would we need to do? Which roads would we need to open or close? Which... Railway lines, are we going to have to move to higher ground? Is our local water supply going to have to be moved further up the hill? Is our sewage plant uh, sustainable? What about a localised grid and so on? And you actually get people for a couple of days going through what can we do to reduce emissions in our our district and what do we need to do to organise so that there is a democratic um, legitimacy so that when there is an extreme weather event or an occurrence uh, happens, people have given their imprimatur to the kind of response. You are not relying on an autocratic leader to say, "I'm bringing in the army, I'm shutting down this, I'm doing this." You, you've actually, you've, you've, as a community, developed how you want your district to respond. So, I, we need practical plans. It is not enough to say we have to get the fossil fuel industry out of politics. Okay, we all agree. What does that mean? What do we have to do? What does donations reform mean? What should be included in it? And we're well beyond let's have a framework. We need to have specific actions. Think climate breakdown, when the trees are all on fire, when half the country's underwater, when a climate change denier runs the nation opposition party votes for oil
0: rigs and pipelines it's not so much a country as it is a corporation buckling under its weight you know you're living in a failed
3: state people are talking about the climate the new climate reality the new normal actually this is not the new normal right? this is the next rung on a terrifying ladder that takes us to hell it's not just the fire-flood cycle, drought-fire-flood cycle, but the impact that that has on food production. The changes in the ocean that mean that already crabs and other crustaceans are not forming their shells properly because the ocean is too acidic. That then leads to wholesale collapse of food chains and guess what? Neville, you're right, we're all people of this soil, of this earth, right? The earth can't sustain us, then actually we've we've all got a pretty good problem, whether you're in the Qantas club or sitting under a a tree somewhere, right? The good news about solar. Um, First is Australia, one thing we're blessed with is fantastic sunshine. So you put a solar panel here, it will produce about four times as much electricity as if you put that same solar panel in Germany, right? The global leader of solar, right? So we have fantastic solar. Second, we have really expensive electricity bills, right? Electricity in Australia is expensive. Right? And one of the reasons is we live on this massive country, a continent, and there's nobody here. So we have these power lines that go for 200, 300, 2000 kilometers, right? And it's a single line. and there's five people there and then it goes another 50 kilometers and there's 30 people there and then it goes another 200 kilometers and there's 50 people there right so the cost of the infrastructure to provide electricity across the nation is absolutely horrendous it's uh it's very expensive now for those who don't understand solar electricity so these solar panels that you see photons of light so the the rays of light hit the solar panel and they produce electricity right it's so elegant there is no boiling a big tank full of water by boiling you know steam age tr- steam train age technology where we, where we put water into a big boiler we stoke coal underneath it to fire it up to create steam to to drive a turbine to create electricity what are you talking about right in the days of uber right we're, we're creating electricity by burning coal Right? We have the technology to create the electricity directly without any of that nonsense right, and messing about. And it now comes to pass that solar-generated electricity is the cheapest form of electricity generation in the world. Solar is the cheapest, wind is the next cheapest, and they're both substantially cheaper than coal or gas or other forms or nuclear or other forms of generation right they are the cheapest today um, when i started in my job 10 years ago a watt of a watt of solar right from the factory if i bought a watt of solar it would cost me $6.50 today if i go and buy a watt of solar from the factory it'll cost me about 27 cents right? that is the rate of reduction in price right and we're not just seeing it in, in, in solar We're seeing it in batteries too. That technology cost curve reducing at about 26% per annum, right? Quite extraordinary. In fact, Origin Energy, right, they know a bit about energy, tell us that it's cheaper to produce electricity from solar today than, than the cost of the coal, Forget about the boilers. Forget about the workforce. Forget about the big transmission towers, right? The cost of solar is cheaper than the coal. And why is that? Because when you put a solar panel, your your energy source is the sun, right? It's free of charge. There is no fuel cost, right? And so uh, it makes it extraordinarily cheap. It's the capital cost only. The fuel cost is free forever. So the good news is even the experts say... This is cheaper. This is the cheapest way to go. Um, Some states now are taking the lead. So in the ACT, 100% of our electricity is offset with renewable energy, 100% today, right? Fantastic news. In Tasmania, 100% of their electricity is from renewable energy. It's from hydropower, right, in Tasmania. In South Australia, by 2025, they'll be at 75% renewables in South Australia. Fantastic sum fantastic wind, right? But there are some laggards. There are states that want to stay wedded to the coal generated, gas generated infrastructure that that reaps billions of dollars in profit for big power companies and props up state and federal budgets across the country. Right? And so those states so nationally we're sitting at about 23.5% renewable energy.
2: Right?
3: Well <laughs> If you are looking for a solution to climate change, uh, actually, New South Wales is pretty bad. Uh, 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 Queensland's got a long way to go. We we were hopeful. Queensland started to do some big things and then stopped. Just stopped, right? So it's a a challenge. So um, uh, this is where policy becomes really important, right? We had the renewable energy target. It actually helped us build that 23%. Well, today, guess what our our target is for renewable nationally in this country today? Now that the renewable energy target 2020 has been met, right, is now flat to 2030, so the current target is... Zero. Zero. It is zero. There is no target from the federal government for renewable energy in this country. Like, what the hell are you talking about? So you're saying that power bills... Right. And the great big tax on electricity is your big driver. And yet you can save you can slash power bills by probably thirty percent by transitioning as the old power stations break down and the fleet of power stations in Australia this is great news was built in the fifties, in the sixties and at the seventies. It's absolutely cactus. Talk about steam age technology, right? Places like Liddell that is actually offline, different boilers, about 85% of the time, right? So you've you've got to put in huge amounts of money to keep those things going. But that's what this mob want to do. They want to take your taxpayer money and they want to provide it as incentives and programs to keep power stations open forever, right? And it's absolutely outrageous. And the fact that there is a much cheaper alternative that actually... as as a throwaway benefit, right, fixes the planet as well, that's not what they're selecting, right? They're choosing to back in the the coal infrastructure. So their their agenda is sell as much coal for as long as possible, use as much internally, and get the world to use as much as possible. And that's because Australia is the Saudi Arabia of coal, right? Let me tell you about the Galilee Basin. So, the Galilee Basin in northern Queensland is the biggest unmined coal reserves in the world. 275,000 square kilometres. 275,000 square kilometres. You could fit Singapore into the Galilee Basin 340 times, right? There's enough coal there to power the world for something like 200 years, right? That coal must stay in the ground. That is unburnable coal, right? Because if we start to burn that, well, you think it's bad today, man, it it goes really, really bad. And yet, they are pushing like crazy to make sure that we can create the economic subsidies for companies like Adani to open that resource up and sell it to the world. So instead of saying, how do we capitalise as a nation? on being an innovative people, a technology-driven people, right? Smart people who could actually develop renewable energy and harness it not just for power locally, but to harness our industry, right? It is true there are big projects being proposed for Northern Australia, one in Western Australia, 14 gigawatt project. They're going to take that energy and they're going to create green electrons for the mining industry in in the Pilbara and they're going to create hydrogen, renewable hydrogen, which they'll turn into ammonia and ship offshore off to make plastics, wow. to be burnt as fuel, to power the economies of Japan and, and South Korea and China and other places. Right? Uh, and they're going to create those fuels and, 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 um, uh, and electrons of the future. So instead of a, a government with some leadership and vision to say, this is engineeringly possible, this is economically sensible... This will revitalise Australian industry. This actually harnesses our competitive advantage, our fantastic natural resources. We can build a stronger economy. We can build jobs for the future for our young people. Right? We can remain as an exporting superpower to the world. Instead of that, they want to give Adani a $900 million tax break so that they can make the economics work where they would not otherwise work. Right? And I just say, that is going to cost all of us, me, you and everybody you know, dearly. Because Australia today is the international pariah of the world. We stand alongside the United States as the holdouts globally, as the whole world transitions, right? And guess what's going to happen, right? People are going to... Already we've lost our international standing, our our clout as a middle power who took the high road, who actually was a a, a principles-based... People, We've lost that that diplomatic kryptonite that we used to have, right? And we've, squawked, we've squandered it. And it will soon become the case that, that metals developed with fossil fuel will be less desirable. That chemicals developed with fossil fuel will be less desirable. That concrete, that steel, that aluminium, that all of these inputs that go into powering the global economy, right? Australia will be the, the, the one that's targeted for sanctions, right? For sanctions to close it down. Bring it on, absolutely. But let's, but, but not when there's an alternative, right, where we could be prosperous, right? So bring it on by bringing them down. They have organised better than we organised. They have the numbers in the government, which means that they write the policy. They generate the bills in the lower house, the money bills, right? They've got the murder Pro. And, and instead, we've got a few brave souls who sit on the crossbenches in the Senate to try and stop the most egregious, the most outrageous bits of legislation getting through. I can tell you it's corrupt. It's bad news.
1: Thank you to, for listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show. Thank you to Andy and Michaela for post-production. Thanks to Greens Ambassador Christine Milne, to Village Well founder Gilbert Rochecouste, and the CEO of the Smart Energy Council... And Canberra lobbyist for renewable energy John Grimes my name is Vivian Langford please contact us at radio team at beyond zero no, so I'll say it again radio team at bz.org.au Good night and good luck